Welcome to the PK Experience. My name is Peter King, and in this episode, I sit down with Rob Swanson. Rob is a brilliant marketer, a brilliant business mind, and he's just really fun to talk to. He's got a great knack for storytelling, and um, but he is the guy that you want to talk to if you're interested in getting started in real estate investing or um, business in general, entrepreneurship. Like I said, he's a brilliant marketer, um, but Rob also just has a ton of integrity and watching him grow his business and living his life with his beautiful family out in Colorado is really an inspiration. So if you're the type of person that wants to create your own uh, path and want to do it in a way where it's filled with abundance and love and joy, Rob is a go-to guy on that. I'm really excited to share this call with you. Uh, And so with that, my boy, Rob Swanson. All right, we're sitting here with Rob Swanson. Rob, thanks for joining me today, man. I'm I'm uh, excited to talk to you. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I still remember the first time I met you, um, and I tell this story often. I call it the thirty thousand dollar breakfast with Rob Swanson because <laughs> uh, at the time I was just getting started in real estate investing, and if you remember, we were out in uh, Jupiter, Florida. I do. And uh, we were sitting there talking and you and your, your partner were so excited and you were sharing all this stuff. And the big epiphany that you shared with us is as real estate investors, we're taught to go find a deal and, you know, here's how you market and here's all this. And you got, you're like, oh, that's, that's, you know, it's completely backwards. You got to start with the buyer, go find your buyer. And like a light bulb went off for me because you were like, look, the buyer pulls it all through. If you find somebody ready to buy something, you can go service that. And I went home from that breakfast and I knew nothing really about land acquisition and understanding, but I simply just took that one simple idea, found a guy that said, I buy land. So what are you looking for? Got the, got the specifics and in two minutes went to a seller and made an offer and then went back to him and made it offer to him 30,000 more. He said, yes. Now I have to, this sort of anticlimactic because at the end of the day, the deal fell through because I was, this is why I was so excited that when he accepted, uh, uh, that when the seller made an offer, I accepted it immediately, and I should have like pushed back a little bit or whatever. But I think he got cold feet and then realized, oh, maybe I'm selling too cheap. So, <laughs> anyway, that, that's my third dollar awesome. breakfast story with Rob Swanson. <laughs> Man, that's I, and buddy, that was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like. You, you you and I look wiser today than we looked back at that breakfast. I hope so. And, and we were having wise conversations back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you certainly were spitting some knowledge. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> I, I tell people, That's awesome. uh, I can help you make millions in real estate. Uh, I'm not the guy to necessarily tell you how to keep millions in real estate. I'm still working on that piece of <laughs> in full you. disclosure. But um, you are are kind of known as a real estate guru. How long have you been doing real estate investing? You know, I got I got into real estate investing, Peter, um, in 1998. I bought my first property in 1998 uh, here in Colorado, and for three years I like stumbled along trying to figure it out, like trying to figure out how do I put the pieces together and take this thing to a true business level. And um, back then, I was the guy that said, I'm smart enough, I'll figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. And in 2001, my brother calls me and says, hey, 
these these training guys are coming through town. You should go. <laughs> and so I find myself Wednesday night, 7 p.m., Marriott Hotel, downtown Denver, sitting in a room, listening to this guy talking about how to make money in real estate. And I'm three years in, working land deals, kind of trying to do stuff. And it's not really going the way I want. This guy makes so much sense. And I'm like, you know what? Pride gone. Let me just say, what can I learn from you guys? And so I ended up into a, a coaching program, into an educational program. And from the moment I went to the first, like got the first training where the light bulb went on, which is what I shared with you uh, on wholesaling and finding deals and how to convert stuff and, and flipping it to another local investor, I made $42,000 in 45 days. Mm -hmm. And so three years of I got this turned into after 45 days putting 42 grand in my bank when I finally said, okay, I'm pretty sure I could learn from somebody else. And uh, so, yeah, man, I've been doing it for a long time, doing it right since 2001 and through the up and the down and the sideways of the market cycle in about 20 different states and 30 some different cities across the country. Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. So how many deals do you think you've done over the years? Oh, gosh. Uh, four figures, thousand. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine. So, somewhere north of that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And you're, um, you've been coaching others now too, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I've been, I've been coaching since probably about 2007 when the, when the market started to, you know, have signs of, of crashing and, and different things. Um, I was, I was, well, right when the market crashed, I put a $10 million real estate fund together and, and this, I, we can have this story. I call it my thirty million dollar mistake, uh, and I'll tell you about that. But Every real estate investor has has a sizable learning curve mistake that they have. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I can tell you my thirty million dollar mistake. I can tell you about the time that the Colorado Department of Health uh, threatened with a let legal letter to sue me uh, and fine me $15,000 a day. I can tell you about the time I accidentally bought a hospital building in Texas. I can tell you about the time the U.S. Treasury Department seized a property the day after closing. Like, I got stories, man. We can, uh, we can talk stories. I love stories. <laughs> but to answer, to answer uh, your question, uh, so I created a real estate fund in 2000. Uh, 10 or uh, 2008. And I started coaching and doing some education in 2007. And uh, I started the Colorado Property Investors Association. And I ran that for about four years. Um, and it was great, man. It, it gave me it gave me a platform to meet a lot of cool people here in, in town. It was one of the catalyst things that that helped me launch the real estate fund. In 2008, we had a $175 million capital partner out of Stanford, Connecticut that came in as our capital and then we were the we were the operators and uh so yeah that's i've been i've been coaching for that long and i'm just going over the the list of questions here and i have a question that that i wrote down says how do you accidentally buy a hospital <laughs> how, does, how does that come about yeah i'll tell you i'll tell you how how it goes back to not asking the right question when you do a real estate deal mm -hmm. and the only question that you should ever ask yourself and be completely comfortable with when you do a real estate deal is what is my worst day and am I comfortable with it? Now, the only way you can properly assess what your worst day is, is to have the knowledge and the education 
to properly assess it. And then you have to be honest and truthful with yourself to say, am I comfortable with the worst day? So here's how I got into this deal. Some guys came to me. They had, uh, they had purchased uh, an, old an old vacated hospital building. This, this community had moved into a new facility. Their old facility was, uh, was vacated. So these guys had purchased it. And they needed some rehab money. They purchased it for cash. They needed some rehab money to come in and get it renovated up to speed and turn it into a long-term acute care center. Well, they came to me for a hard money loan in first position to do the renovations of $300,000. Well, I vetted the whole thing out and they had a signed operating lease with a licensed long-term acute care healthcare provider out of Shreveport, Louisiana. I called, I talked to the CEO, uh, CEO, everything checked out. And so I'm like, well, this is a simple deal. Uh, three points, 14% interest, first lien position, six-month term, what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> and this was back in probably 2005, maybe, two, yeah, 2005. Well, what went wrong was before the financial and the housing market collapsed, there was underpinnings and a, a whole bunch of shakeup in healthcare and, and other stuff that most people kind of don't even know about. So the company that had the long-term lease, between the time I vetted the deal and, and we were supposed, they were supposed to take occupancy, filed bankruptcy, broke the lease, and went AWOL. Ooh. So now I'm a first lien position holder on a, let's see, what was it, 170,000 square foot hospital, two-story hospital building? Oh, no. With what no the? With, with, with no income. I mean, it's boarded up, right? And- and so these guys made their loan payments for a while. I extended the loan. Uh, they had all these great plans. At the end of the day, they defaulted on the loan. I had to foreclose. I took the hospital building back, which then put me in a position to now, I got to deal with the real estate. Right. I got to deal with the whole thing. So uh, long, long story short, uh, 2005 to 2018, I still have a stake as a minority shareholder in the operating company that ultimately came into that deal. Um, cause I just, I was a highly motivated seller, <laughs> yeah, which you want to avoid <laughs> as a real estate investor. <laughs> you you want to avoid, but you know what? It's inevitable. Yeah. If you do enough real estate deals. In fact, I was just talking with, uh, my COO here in the office yesterday that, we all as real estate investors end up buying that one dog along the way or that or two or three or a 170,000 square foot hospital building dog that, you know, we just become a motivated seller. And it's like, you know what, it's time to just exit, move on, and let's go make up any loss somewhere else. Yeah. Yep. I, I was in it long enough to, to have a few of those myself. And, and not only that, but also the deal that slipped away, you know, the Right when I was when I was first starting out, I was um, contacted by a woman who owned a condo in Miami, like a penthouse, beautiful condo. It had needed no touching up; it was in perfect condition. And the this, the backstory was was she was dating an NBA player, and he didn't. I don't know if he was a foreign player or whatever, but he wasn't able to get the loan for the property, so she signed the loan and took ownership of the property and they 
quote unquote owned it together. Well, she owned it. Yeah. Of course, the relationship ended. He left. She stuck with this payment that she now can't afford. And she's like, look, I just want to get out. And I think she owed like 380 on it. And it was worth probably close to a million bucks. And in my infancy of, of getting into real estate, I heard the word foreclosure and there was a mental block that said, oh no, I don't know foreclosures yet. So instead of just right. signing the dang thing up, I was like, oh, I got to go learn foreclosures or whatever. And I didn't know how to piece it together. I actually bought a program called Foreclosures in Your Backyard. And I kid you not, while I'm trying to figure out this Miami deal, literally, and you know, in Florida, the zero lot lines, there's, I could, yeah. you know, spit and probably hit my neighbor's house behind me in my backyard. My backyard neighbor is going through foreclosure. Well, as I'm reading back foreclosures in your backyard, and I missed <laughs> both of them. And now I look back and go, oh, geez, you know. It's, it's the price of education, of course. Yeah, and that, well, that that's right. And you know, it's it's interesting because as as real estate investors, people get so they get they get lost in these terminology things, right? Like like foreclosure or short sale or wholesale or this or that or you know. At the end of the day, there are two kind of real estate deals. There's short term deals like a fix and flip, a wholesale that I just want to you know put under contract and, and flip quick to somebody else. There, but there's short-term deals and there's long-term deals. You're buying holds, your long-term income. One is all about equity and buying at a steep discount. And the other is all about income and buying it so that the cash flow return makes sense long-term. Mm -hmm. And if people could just like step back, simplify the whole business, not worry about you know, okay, what is it? A is a foreclosure deal? Is it a short sale deal? Is it uh, you know, what's going on? And just say, okay, how do I make money? Here's the here's the one question that I always try to ask when I look at any real estate deal: How can I make money with this? Yeah, that's it. If and if you can figure that out, short term or long term, now you've got a framework to make your offer. The 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 problem, of course, is the traditional approach of people thinking that you buy real estate for some long term hoping that it'll appreciate that you can sell and right. one of the biggest lessons i learned as a real estate investor is i need to when i buy something even if it is for longer term i want to make sure that i'm making money on it today which means i have to buy it at a discount or there has to be some other type of equity piece or something that allows me to have some uh some ownership and and equity in a deal from day one I mean, that, that's right for me that's kind of a, a personal criteria um, what would you say is the biggest thing that your students come to you with that you wish that they need to unlearn? Oh boy, that they need to unlearn. Um, they, they need to unlearn that real estate investing is too complicated because it's really not, it's really pretty simple. There's a, there's a handful of things that you have to sort of get your hands around um, to do real estate investing, three numbers to analyze any deal, right? And so a lot of times people, I remember this. Here, here's a great story. Uh, this house on Espinosa Drive in Aurora, Colorado, one of my first kind of real estate deals that single family house deals, I remember as a new real estate investor driving up to this house. I don't know any better. So I got a real estate agent along with me. He helped me find the deal. Not that there's anything bad about that, it's just today we do a whole lot of lead generation on our own direct to seller. Back then I called a real estate agent. I said, Hey, can you help me find a good deal? We drive up to this house, 
walk through the front door. I got my clipboard in hand. I got my pen and I'm ready to go. And I'm like, I have no idea. And it was bright yellow and it was like this massive popcorn uh, like texture on the walls and it was bright red and it was bright blue. Like it was, and, and it was trashed. Like this place was trashed and I had, I had no clue where to start. So I, I'm walking around taking notes on, you know, whatever I can think of to take a note on. I don't even have a framework or a checklist for that. But the whole time I'm thinking, where do I start to figure out what I would even offer? And is that a good deal? Right. And so I left that house and I'd never even made an offer on it. So because I I wasn't sure where to start Mm -hmm. and because I'm like, well, I got to figure out what this thing is worth. You know, and so everybody thinks of the as is value. Like, what is the house worth in the condition that it's in today? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the wrong value to to worry about figuring out. So here's what I learned from that situation. I went back home being the engineer that I am. I said, okay, what did I screw up here? I, I did something wrong because I don't know where to even start. Three things you got to do to analyze any deal. Answer this question. Number one. What is the fixed up value of the house? So don't look at what the house is today or the apartment or the duplex or the commercial building. Don't look at what it is today. Look at what it would be if you fixed it up. So if I'm looking at a three bedroom, one bath, 1500 square foot house, maybe the thing is I say I could make it a three bedroom, two bath, 1500 square foot house by adding a bathroom. So I want to ask the question, what is a three-bedroom, two-bath, 1,500-square-foot house worth fixed up? The second question is, how much is it going to cost me to get it fixed up? So now I've got to figure in, what does it cost me to add a bathroom? What does it cost me to rehab the house? So improved value, ARV, the after-repaired value, the fix-up cost, and then the third is the income. How much income will it produce? And so On that house on Espinoza, I didn't understand those three questions. And so I was trying to figure out what is the house worth today in the crappy total beater condition that it's in, instead of saying, what will it be worth after I fix it up? How much is it going to cost me to get it fixed up? And how much income will it produce? Then I can calculate my actual offer price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That was that was one of the big takeaways for me when I was learning is understanding, and this goes back to what you were saying before about the complexity. There's an association I think that people have with anything real estate related. Oh, you have to have a license, and there's you know all this paperwork and contracts and mortgages and HUD statements right. and all. And so people right. go into it sort of at a disadvantage because they just assume it's going to be crazy complicated, which I get to some extent. It can be, but the principles of the deal itself are not complicated at all. And and that's, for me, that was the big eye-opener was like, it's just, I try to explain to people like, don't think real estate investing, think deal-making. You're just putting a deal together. If I came to you with a pen that was a $1,000 pen and I said, look, I don't want any more. I'll sell it to you for $100. Would you buy that pen? It's easy. You go, of course, even if I don't want the pen, I'll sell it to somebody else for $500, make a nice little profit. That's it. That's it right there. So, um, 
You uh, mentioned before just your students coming in. What is uh, what are some of the big principles that you teach them coming out of the gate? So for the for the person who's listening to this that's thinking they may want to get into real estate investing, what's one thing that you can offer them to help them prime their thought into getting into it? Yeah. Um, so the thing that the thing that set me from kind of trying to figure it out to to having success was a strategy called wholesaling. Because I was now unrestricted from my ability to do deals and get paid because I didn't need cash. I didn't need credit. I didn't need a bank. I didn't need rehab crews. I didn't need fix-up knowledge. All I needed to do was get good at understanding what a deal is, understanding how and where to find them, and then converting those conversations into uh, a signed contract. I needed to put the paperwork in front of a seller, get them to agree to my price or my terms, because then what I would do, Peters, I would just turn it around and I would sell it to another local investor that had the cash or has the crews or wants to do whatever that long-term exit is. So the number one thing that I tell new students coming in is before you graduate to what everybody you know would call kind of that capital I investor, the landlord or the fix and flipper or the whatever you want to do, get good at finding deals and get good at converting those in those leads into uh, an actual good price. Yeah. So master those two things, lead generation and sales. Do you find that there are different personality types that fit better with different approaches in real estate? hundred percent. Absolutely. So I'm a huge personality profile guy because I've got three kids. Um, all three of my kids from, from early ages, we've tried to like figure out, okay, who are they? Who, who is the natural, what are their natural giftings? What is their personality? And so we've spent a lot of time, you know, me, my wife, my kids evaluating personality profiles. When I hire somebody, I have, I have a problem in the business that I'm trying to solve. I've got a seat on the bus that I'm looking to fill, and I want to talk to people that match the personality to the job task. And so I'm a huge personality profile guy, 100%. When it comes to real estate investing, it's an entrepreneurial endeavor. It, you gotta, you gotta wake up, you gotta, your feet gotta hit the floor and you have to say, I'm going to hustle it today and make something happen. And so the personality types that have a struggle with real estate are the personality types that, that need to be told what to do on a constant basis and don't wake up and say, what am I going to do? And the, the, the high-driving action takers, whether in the DISC profile, uh, it's you know your dominant person, your influential person, your supportive person, or your conscientious attention to detail person. Those four, your high Ds and your high Is, uh, your dominant personalities and your influential outgoing personalities tend to do the best as a real estate investor entrepreneur. Now, for my team around here, we hire the other personalities 
to step in and fill gaps inside of our system. And so what, what I don't want people to hear is that if you're this other personality type, you can't be successful. Because I, there's two, you, you hear this a lot, it's kind of buzzwordy stuff, but the entrepreneur and the intrapreneur. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that entrepreneur is the person that's the visionary, that's the go getter, is going to hear the training and hear the lesson and go execute. And then the entrepreneur is that person that's going to take the vision and take the information and improve the process. So sometimes it's a marriage of a, of a partnership or it's somebody stepping into a, a larger organization and letting their personality skills really shine. I love that you mentioned that. Um, I find that uh, a lot of people, like you said, it's really sad when you go to a lot of these real estate seminars because you can just see that 90, I don't know, 95% of the people are just, you know, they're paying a lot of money to learn this education and their personality type isn't the one to actually set the vision and go do it. They might be better suited in the yep. entrepreneur type position. How does one uh, find an entrepreneur? What, what do you look for and, what oh. do you, and, and where, where do you look for them? Man, that is a, that is a tough one. So if you're a, if you're a business owner, you you inevitably have gone through uh, a process in your business if you've grown to any kind of size or scale where you just sort of you start to feel like you're hitting a ceiling mm-hmm. and what you've got to do is find that that COO type person that that operations day-to-day systems detail person to to come in alongside you i can tell you here here's how i did it uh and, and there's no, and there was no magic to it other than mentally, I committed myself to doing it. Now it took me, it took me a while to get the right person. I've had different chief operating officers or operations managers or general managers come through my business over the years, and I've inevitably, inevitably made the wrong hiring decision up until about three, two and a half to three years ago. Oh, wow. And I finally got myself to this place. You know what? Because you have three options. You can, you can hire the person that doesn't know the business, but maybe they're systems oriented and they can come in and you can teach them the business and then they can do their thing. You can hire the person, number two, that already does know the business, that you don't have to maybe train as much that can come in and do their thing. The, the first one is a lot of work. The second one, you risk them coming in and just deciding I'm going to go out on my own. And the third option is partner with somebody, bring in somebody in an equity stake where they've got upside for their influence and and additions to the business. I have done all three. The one that, and I'm not, let me just say this, I'm not a partner's guy. Partnerships, are tough. So I'm, I'm generally not a partner's guy. Uh, about two and a half years ago, I brought a guy in and I, and we set up a division of my business to run our Texas operation. I live here in Colorado. We had an operation in Texas. So I found this guy just through when I made the decision that I needed that person like legit needed that person to get where we wanted to go in business. I just started telling everybody and I just started talking about it and I just started throwing it out there. And literally within about a month, um, I I found, I found the right guy. 
And so we started with the Texas operation. We set up an entity. We did equity for him on that. And I wanted to see how he performed. Well, he knocked it out of the park. So I didn't give him equity in, in my whole business at the beginning. I gave him equity in a small division that we set up separate such that if he didn't work out, we dissolved that partnership and I continued what I was doing and he could go back and do what he was doing. Well, it did, it did work out. It, it, that expanded, that expanded again. And today we're 50, 50 partners in the entire operation. Oh, wow. Wow. So, um, you talked about the, uh, or we were talking earlier about the personality types, and um, I'm just going to emphasize this one more time, that if you're listening to this and you're not the type of person who is okay with not knowing, that was a big thing for me when I got into this is I really realized you got to be okay with not knowing, not knowing where the next deal is coming from, not knowing if you're going to spend X amount on marketing and it doesn't you know, materialize the way you like it to, and be okay to get up the next morning and, and get back into the grind. Um, that to me is, I think, a really big personality trait of the of the the, the D and the I that you were talking about earlier, the visionary. That's right. All right. Um, so if you're listening to this and you and you are okay with that, like that, it makes sense, I think, to to invest a little bit further. If you're not, you know, then then there's other ways, and I recommend. And Rob, tell me what your thoughts on this, but just going to your local real estate investment club and starting to get to know who are the players and finding out if you can play a supporting role somehow so that you can at least get involved, start to understand the transactions, um, and then develop perhaps the confidence so that when you go, if you wanted to go out on your own, you'd have a lot more you know experience and, and confidence to do it. Or like Rob was mentioning, perhaps you partner up with somebody. Um, That's right. Little uh, little bit of a tangent here. What would you say is your has been your biggest burn? We talked. We started to get into that a little bit before, but um, you know, there's always good stories around that one. What, what would you say <laughs> is your best one? Well, okay. So I so I, I told you that the three go to like like bad deals, um, and and it, I didn't get into the full story on on them other than the hospital one a little bit, but. My biggest burn is in the last crash of 2008, I put a $10 million fund together. And we, we all of the old school, like the old school, 90-year-old, chain-smoking, hard money and note guys in Denver are telling me, Rob, here's what you do. You take all this money you got from this capital partner, you buy everything you can, you spend every last dime, you board them up, you sit on them, you disconnect the utilities, and then you just start getting them rented as you as you go, but just spend every dime. And I didn't do that. And they all told me the same thing, but you know, my my mid to early 30s, I I thought, man, I've had some success in this business. This one feels different, Bernie. I just don't feel right about it. He's like, listen, son, it happened in 1973. It happened in 1991. It's happening right now. It's the same deal. I didn't listen. And so we fix and flipped our $10 million. Like we took the money and we just, we made a bunch of money. It, it worked really good. We had 65 to 70 full-time construction guys working. We, we had an operation. We made a lot of money, but you know what? Had I disconnected the utilities, boarded them up, slowly just tackled them, rented them out, my headache factor 
and my and my workload would have been significantly less. And instead of making a, a nice solid twenty to to thirty percent return on that money, I would have turned ten million dollars into forty million. Mm. And the difference between forty minus ten—that's my thirty million dollar mistake. I could have done almost nothing to those properties because I bought them at the bottom of the crash. I could have just waited for the recovery and ridden it back up. Mm. And every single one of those guys that had been through the ups and downs of the cycle multiple times over that 17 to 18 year wave cycle, yeah. every, single, every single one of them said it's, it's the exact same. And in fact, in fact, the crash of 1990-91, the, the savings and loans debacle crash, yep. it's actually worse than the crash of 2008, meaning 3,500 banks failed in 1990-91. Like 12, the big ones, but 12 failed in 2008. Mm. It, it was as ugly, if not worse, the, the last two, two crashes ago, and every one of the old guys told me. Yeah, that's a that's a painful lesson to learn as you're watching them creep back up. Um, what 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 do you think the current state of the market is right now? Do you think we're heading towards? I think we're. I think the current state of the market is uh, nearing peakish numbers. Uh, there there are certain markets that are certainly more peakish than others, uh, but as a whole, I'm I'm starting to see. Uh, I'm starting to feel and see that we're we're up there again. Um, and here's the interesting thing about this. yeah, we're we're up there on price, but price is not the thing that's gonna drive the next crash. Price didn't drive the last crash. It wasn't the fact that prices got so high and then it crashed. What drove it last time was a loss of liquidity in the market. What, what drove it the time before that was a loss of liquidity in the market. What drove it the crash before that was a loss of liquidity in the market. And so what's going to drive it the next time is a loss of liquidity in the market. So the question is, what is going to be the driving factor behind the loss of liquidity in the market? Part of the reason the prices are going up so now is because there's excess liquidity in the market, meaning lenders, banks, even hedge funds that are playing kind of behind the scenes in the funding side are loosening regulations, making more money available easier, thus driving up prices. So what's going to suck that liquidity out of the market? Well, look at the commercial real estate side of the business right now. The 10-year the the balloon commercial real estate loans that all were, were due in 2017 – are having a hard time refinancing. Some of them are getting extended. Some of them are going into default. But from 2007, which was pre-crash, to 2017, which was post-crash, they were they were those com a lot of commercial real estate was on a 10-year note. Why why was that? Because that was the financing that they were doing back then. Okay. So so they put them on a they put them on a 10-year balloon note, and so. Uh, 
a lot of those loans have come due and are now commercial real estate. If you understood what was happening under the uh, under the rug, if you look out my window here and see all this commercial real estate, I guarantee there are building owners right now having discussions with lenders, trying to refinance, trying to renegotiate, trying to extend, because it's happening all over the place. That's number one, commercial real estate. Number two, the stock market. The stock market today, the margin debt in the stock market, meaning the amount of money that has been extended to stock market investors today inside the stock market to buy stocks is two to three times what it was in 2007. Hmm. So there's more debt inside the stock market than there was last time. If that debt defaults in, in any way, shape, or form, that sucks liquidity out. The third thing is the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is currently the, the world's reserve currency, right? It's the go-to. If the dollar, if, if oil gets taken off the dollar or if China calls any debt due, the dollar starts, is going to crash, which is going to suck liquidity out of the market. So, I mean, I'm, and I could go on and on and on and on about all sorts of things, but those three, I think, are three biggies that will potentially suck liquidity out of the market and then it, and then it will crash. Now, let me... That's my downer. Let me tell you my, my upper, right? The, the downer is it's going to crash. The upper is I wish it would crash tomorrow. Mm. Okay? That said, I'm buying a lot of real estate today. I, I'm, not, I'm not not buying because I think the prices are high. Because I'm pricing everything that I buy based on income. Everything I buy is based on income so that if values go down. You know what happened in the last three real estate crashes on single family home rents? Hmm. After the crash, rents went up. Now, this, this was not true for apartment buildings. Apartment buildings took a greater hit. As housing prices dropped, so did apartment rents. Hmm. But as housing prices dropped in the crash, single family home rents went up. Because you took so much of, you displaced all of these homeowners out of the homes that they owned into rentals, but the, but the homes that they owned were not, had not turned over and gotten to be rent ready. So there was a shortage of supply and an increasing demand for rentals. So single family home rents went up. Mm. And so everything that I'm buying today is based on cash flow. So that if it crashes, my rents will theoretically, if history repeats itself for the fourth time in a row, which I think is a pretty good call, buy it based on cash flow, rents will likely go up. So I can't wait for it to crash. I get, I get that that causes a lot of people a lot of struggle and grief. It doesn't have to if you listen to what I'm saying and say, wait a minute. The last time it crashed, I really struggled. My family really struggled. You're kind of a jerk to wish that it would crash again. No, I'm not. I'm sitting here saying right now, if you're listening to this thinking that, do something about it. Get educated. Learn how you can be part of the solution and take advantage of it. Right? Absolutely. So that's, that's kind of where I come from. Yeah, absolutely. Would you say uh, or what would you say is the biggest opportunity for today? Would 
um, if somebody was just getting involved in real estate investing today, where would you point them to? Yeah, so I like, I still to this day like wholesaling. If you're brand new, so there's two there's two different kinds of investors. There's the active investor, the the guy or gal that says, I want to build an active business. I want to I want to get up every day. I want to think about real estate. I want to find deals, negotiate deals, do deals. Then there's the passive, the white collar guy. I call it the blue collar and the white collar. Then there's the white collar guy who says, you know what? I got a high paying job. I've got a really good other business. I make money. I have I have uh, cash or a, ability to to invest. The, that white collar guy, I would say, start buying rentals and buy them based on cash flow, because when it crashes the likelihood is that the rents will go up. So depending on where you sit, blue collar or white collar, you can kind of make a decision to say, I want to get in and, and I want to do this thing on a daily basis or I want to, I want to go over here. Now, one of the things that, that uh, we've done in our business, Peter, and I, I don't even think we've talked about this much, um, we actually started a real estate investing franchise about a, year, a little over a year ago. Um, we... I've wanted to franchise our business for, I don't know, 10 years. And when I hooked up with the COO that's on board with us now, uh, man, he just, he came in and he took my vision. I'm the visionary. He took my vision as the integrator and just knocked it out of the park. Mm -hmm. And so we've now franchised our business. We have franchisees operating in markets all across the country. Guys and gals who have said, I want to be an active real estate investor. I want to wake up every day and I want to do real estate deals. Well, our franchise, so, so for our franchisees, we, we have a recurring income business model that's high margin, low risk. We've got great training and support and we've built a crash proof model for our franchisee owners. The product that we, that our franchisees produce is discount income producing properties. And so we sell to a lot of the white collar guys, discount income producing properties in good markets across the country. And so that's, that's what we're doing today in this market saying, Hey, I get where things are going to go again. And I'm, I'm all in, in real estate. Gotcha. Um, for the person who's listening that's maybe done a deal or two or or maybe they're doing one or two a month but they're hustling and it's how do you how do you what what's the gap between that and actually getting consistent 3 4 5 plus properties a month yeah great question so right now about 65 or 70% of our franchisees have come through our coaching program so we, we coach newer investors to intermediate investors to, frankly, uh, I've coached $150 million real estate funds, the C-level suite in large real estate funds. I've coached them on setting up their operations. But all the way back to the guy or gal who says, I want to I learn how to be a real estate investor, we've created a coaching program that does just that. A lot of coaching programs, Peter, will bury their students with information. 
and try to teach you everything under the sun there is about real estate investing. And people become overwhelmed. They're not sure where to start. And therefore, a lot of times people struggle. So I've coached people for 10 years. Here's what I've done. We've cut out everything except the linear path that gets you to making money as fast as possible. Because my goal for anybody that comes through our program is that they get their the return of their investment in the program back before they leave the program. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we want them to be in the profit side. So we've created we, what we've done is a very linear five core steps to being a, a successful real estate investor. Uh, I love that. As, as successful as you are as a real estate investor, I, I think you might even be a better educator. And I, well, that's one of the things I've always really appreciated about you is that you're able to take these seemingly complex things and really just boil it down to the, the simple essence of what you know what the the transaction actually entails. Um, so for anybody that's listening that's interested maybe in joining up with Rob, I can just give you that uh, that little endorsement because it, it, I find that a lot of trainers out there, like you said, either overwhelm you with information, don't really connect with where that person's at, and you know the fact that you're in the business teaching it, you know, as opposed to somebody that's just really good at teaching it. You know, you've got your hands, uh, your sleeves rolled up and you're in the business too. Um, what would you say is if somebody was interested in, in either franchising with you or just getting started and maybe want to get coached by you, what is the advantage that you bring that gives somebody else an advantage over some of the other competitors in the area? Yeah, well, and I, you know, I don't even know that it's competitors in the area. Um, it, I think it's our approach, right? So I've been I've been doing the business every day for a long time. I've been in the business as an active real estate investor for for going on twenty years. We're really good at it, um, and we enjoy it. And here here's one of the here's one of the differentiators. If you were to ask my wife, what is Rob's superpower? My wife would tell you my superpower is teaching. Mm -hmm. She she wouldn't she wouldn't tell you that my superpower is doing real estate deals. But I'm really good at doing real estate deals. She would tell you that my superpower is teaching. So why it why am I really good at doing real estate deals? But my superpower is teaching because you know what I do every single day around here. I teach my team how to how to operate in their lane, in their job, in their task at the highest level possible. I don't care if it's an acquisitions guy. Trying, trying to close a deal and, and he's got some weird seller situation or it's a, a sales guy selling a property or my construction manager trying to rehab a house and he just ran into a city asbestos problem. I, you know, I don't care what it is. I can teach my team and I spend most of my time coaching and teaching my team here on a daily basis. The way that translates into us coaching outside people is when we're doing it every day and I just live in coach and teacher mode because that's how we operate our business, I become a really good coach and teacher for people outside of our organization as well. My my lead coach, so I'm one guy, right? I can't I can't talk to everybody at every moment of every day. My lead coach has been with me since 2008. He came in and he ran acquisitions in my real estate fund when we put it together in the heat of the financial and housing market crash. So he's been with me for 10 years. 
He was our number two franchisee. Number two. Because he said, and, and he and I were at a conference I spoke at. We were flying back to Denver together. We're sitting next to each other that evening on the airplane. And I, and I hit him and I said, hey, Mike, why don't you buy a franchise? I said, you know how I think about real estate investing and you see our operation and our team every single day and you're coaching our students to success. Why don't you buy a franchise? And he looks at me and he goes, Swanson, because I never thought of it. Hmm. And, I, and he did. So one thing led to another. He became our second franchisee and here's why. He became our second franchise. He knows everything under the hood, man. Like he's got admin access to <laughs> everything that I have, yeah. right? He knows under the hood the whole thing. He became number two franchisee because he said, while I coach everybody and I know how to coach it, I know how to teach it, and I know what, how Rob thinks before Rob speaks, I've never been able to just step foot into the full system and just run it. I always had to build it. I had to learn it and then build it from scratch. The franchise, in order to be a legal franchise, we had to take that barrier away. People literally had to be able to step in and run the business. And uh, I think those I think those couple of things kind of uh, just snowball on each other uh, of what sets us apart. So, I mean, this, this is... <laughs> getting a little bit more into, I, I don't want to say like an infomercial or whatever, but I'm genuinely curious when you are selling a franchise, what are you actually selling for an operation like this? And because yeah. there's no product yeah, yeah. there, you know what I mean? There's what, sure. What exactly are you selling? Yeah. Great, great question. Uh, and, and I don't want it to be infomercially. I, I mean, this is the world I live in every day, right? So if we're just talking about my day, this stuff comes up. So, to answer your question, uh, a franchise is uh, a business system. So franchising is the franchisee owns and operates their own business, and they utilize our brand and our systems to run the day-to-day -day and our support and coaching and training. So here's what has separated us. I've realized that the number one thing that real estate investors struggle with, no matter what the real estate market cycle is doing, is lead generation. There's a lack of consistency, a lack of knowledge, and a lack of execution in real estate investor lead generation to find motivated sellers and find deals that you can buy at a steep disc discount or on good terms. And so in our franchise, we handle all of the lead generation for our franchisees. Hmm. Where they pick up is with acquisitions, and then the whole back end, whatever exit strategy they choose. Got it. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and just for just to, to for disclosure, like I take responsibility for making it sound like an infomercial because I'm asking you out of interest for myself. So I, I appreciate the responses, but um, I wanted to ask you. Had another note here. Um, why did you like what? What was it about real estate investing that got you involved in the first place? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I was, uh, I'm highly uh, driven, type A, D person. Like I ping the D personality side on the disc test. I'm like 27 out of 28 D. And, uh, and so 
I always wanted to be self-employed. I always wanted to do my own thing. I'm an engineer by background, and I'm a licensed civil engineer here in the state of Colorado. Um, but I always thought, man, I'm just going to own my own engineering company or own my own whatever. Well, I got, I realized that all of my clients, as a as an engineer, all of my clients, I was billing hours, and they were making millions. And I thought, man, I got to get to the other side of the of the coin. So I made the switch. I got out of engineering. I got into the construction side of the world where I could use my brain to make money versus just billing hours and trying to get a higher rate. I, I got into the, the construction side and and I'm like, okay, this makes a ton of sense. Like I, I can be smarter about what I do and increase my margin substantially just by turning on the light bulb in inside my head and saying this is a smarter way to do it. So real estate investing was I looked at franchises back in the day. Uh, real estate investing franchise didn't really exist. Uh, I looked at stock market. I looked at commodities. I looked at businesses. I looked at real estate. And the thing that resonated with me, and and it might be because it was the best salesman standing on stage Wednesday night at the Marriott, was real estate. Mm-hmm. I'm, I sat there and I literally said, I can do that. Mm-hmm. That seems like something that makes se- it made sense to me and I thought I felt like I could do it. What was I looking for? I was looking for financial freedom. I was looking for time freedom. I was looking for flexibility in my life. I wanted, I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it with whom I wanted to do it. And I, I know that sounds very cliche, but that, that literally like freedom, that literally was my main thing. Like I didn't want to get up and be stuck going to a job. I wanted to go do work that I loved doing. Mm-hmm. And I happened to slide into real estate and it's been really, really good for me. Do you, so do you love real estate? Do you love the, the, the deal making and all that? I do. I, I love, I love real estate. Cause, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say full disclosure. Like I, you know, having gotten into real estate um, myself, it it did get it, it didn't necessarily fulfill my soul. Uh, I mean, I yeah. definitely yeah. have been into it and am into it for the freedom side of it. I, I mean, I, I'm all for that. But um, there was a component for me personally where I was like, man, I'm just you know, yeah, shuffling yeah. papers and 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 yes, I'm building equity and yes, I'm building wealth and that's great. Like, what yeah. what do I what, what kind of impact do I want to make? And that's kind of a personality thing that. Yeah. So, um, so I've talked about this on, on other shows and, and on my own show and different things. So, um, so your question was specifically, do I ha- do I love real estate? And I don't do day to day real estate that much anymore. I coach my team, but they do day to day real estate. I really love doing bigger business deals right and so i like buying businesses i like i like i like bigger business deals and i like and i like coaching and teaching my team and and other and other people um a few a few years ago i i bought a business um and it was a great it was a great acquisition it's been it's been very good it's in the in the vertical of real estate investing it's a software company uh software as a service what I love about real estate investing is is cash flow and income. What I love about the software business is cash flow and income. Mm-hmm. And 
I was kind of, I'm not a really awesome landlord. I'm a bad landlord. I'm crappy at it. I don't enjoy it. Don't, if, if you're my tenant, don't ever call me. I don't want you to, right? That's me. That's just my personality. I, I'm bad at that. So I need other people in my business or, or in my sphere to handle that piece because I know I'm not good at it. On the, on the software side, I don't have to deal with that, that tenant. But here, here's the epiphany. So my wife comes to me a couple of years ago and says, hey, Rob, you know, if you get hit by a bus and die, we're good. But if you get, but if you get hit by, right, we've been married 23 years, she can get away with it. But if you get hit by a bus and just can't work, we might be screwed. Like this is the aha moment to me, right? Because I had sold all of my rental portfolio in 2007 before the crash because I felt it coming. So I sold in, and, and then I, and then I built other took that money and built other income producing assets along the way, made a, made a, a major multi-million dollar acquisition of this software company. And, and then my wife says this to me, that statement. And the epiphany for me was, you know what? She's right. And what I mean, what she means by that is she doesn't know how to run a software company, but she knows how to run a house. So if, if we've got a rental portfolio and I'm gone and the furnace goes out, she knows how to call an HVAC guy and she can figure out by getting three quotes what the right price should be. Mm-hmm. She can run a house. She's lived in a house her whole life. She knows how to run a house. She doesn't know how to run a, a software company. So what we started to do is take income, again, from our other businesses and buy back up our real estate portfolio. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm gone, sure, I can sell, we can sell the business, we can, we can do whatever, but now she has a long-term asset that she knows how to manage that sets her up for safety. That's, that's killer. I, you know, um, this to me is such an intri- intriguing part of real estate investing that very, very, very rarely gets spoken about, which is a spouse and how you guys work together. I mean, I've talked to many people who, um, you know, I'll talk to, to guys that want to make the leap and their, and their spouses are very, you know, hesitant, um, or just the working dynamic. Sometimes you get a, you know, a couple that wants to work together and how does that work? What advice do you have for somebody that's listening that to, to help mitigate some of the, the turbulence with, um, <laughs> relationships in real estate investing? Yeah. Uh, increase your sales skills. <laughs> 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 um, no, so so my wife is my wife and I could not be more 180 degrees opposite. Like I will live in the world of risk. Like if like my personality, if you read some things about my personality type on these personality tests, sometimes it will say that I live for that moment where like fight me, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. Like conflict, risk, like I just. I'm okay with it. Yeah. My wife is the opposite. She wants everyone to like her. She wants to support people. She wants she, like she's a very giving, caring person. And she has this security gland right here that just has to be like taken care of. So, my my advice is number 1, understand each other. 
understand the personality of the other. And while I'm really, really comfortable with risk and and fast pace and go, 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 go and change, my wife cannot handle any of that. So I can't go to her and just say, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and here's how it's going to be and here's my you know, blah, 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 risk. Because all she hears is, holy crap, this sucks and now I feel nauseous. Yeah. So I have to learn to speak into her language in a way that she's going to be okay with. And then when I learn to speak to and communicate to her my high-driving, go-forward-fast pace – in a way that she can hear only, she gets on board. Do you have because all of us? Yeah, go ahead. Do you have an example of that by any chance? It's fresh. Put yeah. Um, no, no, it's uh, it's great. Um, we're in the process of buying a new home right now. We're, we we actually are selling our home and buying the new one in the next week. For okay. this is for your for your primary residence. For my for my personal house, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, we we buy. I don't know. We probably bought three houses today. But my personal residence, my my wife has nothing to do with the day to day of the business. She's a stay at home mom. She right, so she's just doing her thing. So uh, we decided we're going to buy uh, a new a new house, and I'm Denver is one of the most competitive, low supply high price markets in the country, probably top three. And so being the real estate guy that I am, I'm like, man, this is, why would we buy our personal residence now? I'm only going to do that if I can get a deal. Yeah. Well, I've said that for the last three to five years and we haven't moved because we're very particular about what we're looking for. And I haven't been able to quote unquote, find a deal that, that qualified yeah. as a deal. So my wife finally comes to me and says, you know, if we don't just do what we want to do in life, we're never going to do it. Hmm. So she's like, can we afford it? And I'm like, yeah, but it goes against all of my principles. <laughs> but she's like, it's time. Okay, so we're going to go and we're going to, in Denver's competitive market, we're going to go pay retail for the first house that I paid retail for since 2001. Not only that, but... We're going to pay it at the top of the market, and I'm doing it because it's going to make you happy. Gotcha. Now, let's figure out then our top 10 criteria. Let's figure out if we're going to do this, if we're going to, if we're going to overpay for a house because we got to have it, and you're going to be happier with it, and we're going to live there for the next 20 years, right? What, it, what do we have to have? So we created a, a, a decision matrix, a weighted decision matrix. This is the engineer in me yeah, that said, what are the top 10 things that we must have? And we, we didn't say what are the top 10. We said, what are the things that we must have? Our number just came to 10. So then we took those, those 10 items. Now, and this is me explaining the question that you asked, right? Yeah. This is how I did it. Because she, she made the decision that she wanted to do it. And and she said, let's do it. And so I immediately went out and started making it happen. And then she panicked <laughs> because this was going to be change. This was going to be selling the home that we love. This was going to be moving. This was going to be work. This was going to be all these things. So she said it. I heard it. 
I immediately executed. Like the next day, I'm executing. I'm calling one of my buddies up. I'm saying, hey, here's what we're looking for. Where can you find it? He starts he starts sending us, you know, a bunch of a bunch of properties. My wife gets this email and all of a sudden she's like, Hey, why why are we getting all these emails? I said, Because you told me yesterday you wanted to move and it was time and we're paying retail and we're just gonna go buy what we want to buy. <laughs> and and she said, Well, yeah, but and and then I'm like, babe, you told me I did what you said. You now you can't panic. Right. And so so then I'm like, okay, but telling her she can't panic maybe makes her panic worse because that's just what I would need to hear. So then I said, well, here, let's do this then. Let's get really clear on we won't make the move unless unless it's the perfect scenario. So let's do a decision matrix and come up with our must haves. Let's create a weighted uh, a weighted um, uh, analysis and. We'll, we'll come up with our minimum grade, and then we'll start to, to compare our options, and we'll find the one that fits the best. She's like, I like that. Okay, I can handle that. So we sit down. We create this whole thing. We start looking. We start looking at our priorities, the weightings on each priority, and then the, all of our different options, You know, house A, house B, house C, house D. And clearly, this one over here, this one, this one property, we walk in, we look at it, and we're like, ah, this is exactly it. This is it. Mm. And the decision matrix had it like leaps and bounds off the chart better than any other thing that we had looked at. And like our, our criteria was four bedroom, three bath minimum. I've got a daughter in college. I got two in high school. Like they're, they're heading out. So four bedroom, three bath minimum. Gourmet kitchen because we like to entertain and I love to cook. Backyard sanctuary because my wife's an organic gardener and that's her happy place. Like and and the and then the list just went down, and so we found the we found the place. We made the offer, and all of a sudden we end up in a bidding war because mm-hmm. we're the most competitive market in the country. Of course we're in a bidding war. Mm-hmm. Of of course not only am I just going to pay retail for the first house since two thousand one, I'm going to get into a bidding war and I'm going to overpay. And I'm going to reduce, and I'm going to eliminate the appraisal contingency, and just agree to pay whatever gap in cash. Right. <laughs> like, you, dude, I can't tell you how how against every principle this is. Right. Right. So we ended up getting a, uh, we ended up uh, being in a, in a bidding war, and my my dude just calls the the other agent because for five years I haven't been able to find the deal that I was comfortable with, so we end up in the MLS, right? Mm-hmm. We ended up bidding $62,500 over the seller's asking price to get the house, and my wife is super happy. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I'm happy too. It's all good because uh, it hit everything that we wanted to hit, but, this, but you, the root of your question was, how did I talk to that spouse yeah. about the thing and it was all about me recognizing how I operate, me recognizing how she operates, and me recognizing how I need to speak to her differently than I would speak to myself. Yeah. That's, I mean, that you, you can see how why she would say that your superpower is teaching because that's a whole dynamic that I think most people miss regardless of whether or not they're a real estate investor is how to communicate this in a way that somebody actually hears you. 
Um, right. So that's a that's a powerful takeaway right then and there. I remember when I was investing too uh, that we were I was in a similar position where we were starting to look for our primary home, and I ran into the same thing. It's you're not an investor anymore; you're a buyer, and that changes everything. And you know, we went through a process where we were looking at homes that you know, looking at deals that we, we that we kind of said this could work. Like I could be happy here, but it wasn't what we really wanted. But it still was a deal. And yeah. you know, if you're if you're really gonna do it the right way, you kind of have to take off your investor hat and and put on your happy hat. Like what's what what's gonna make everybody happy in this situation? Well, that's that's an interesting lesson right then and there. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Um, it's, been, it's been it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, we are uh, we're butting up against time. Um, I wanted to oh you know what I wanted to follow up really quick and ask you ask your engineer brain like when you created that decision tree or that you you called it a what a weighted um, decision matrix I think you said yep yep what, um, so you had you sat down and you said what are the absolute must haves yep listed those out and then how did you weight it so yeah great great question and you can go to uh, robswanson.com forward slash matrix and you can go download. Uh, a, t- a template that I use to create a, a decision tree. Cool. So here's how I, here's how I weighted it. There's uh, there's four things that go into uh, a weighted decision matrix. Number one are your priorities. So like what are the things that we want to evaluate? Like bedrooms and bathrooms, mountain views, um, walkout basement, backyard sanctuary, gourmet kitchen. Like what are your priorities? And then I apply a weight from one to two, like one, one, 1. 1.3, 1.7, 2, 1.5, whatever, to every one of those priorities. So priority followed by weight. And then down the left-hand column, I do my choices. So house number one. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rank, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at I'm going to rank house number one on every single one of those priorities. Mm -hmm. Then house number two on every single one of those priorities. House number three on every single one of those priorities. And I'm going to look at the total weight on the right-hand side. And and there's a minimum weight that's acceptable, right? So here's here's my, my ranking of each weighted item inside the middle of the spreadsheet. I rank from one to ten. One meaning... It does not meet our minimum criteria, like bad, bad deal for us, right? Five being it meets our minimum criteria, meaning it, it's acceptable. And 10, meaning it exceeds our minimum criteria. And then I'll rank, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, somewhere. So anything five and up is meets the minimum to better and then doesn't uh, meet the minimum uh, up to, you know, up to meets it. And, and so from there, that gives me my weight. Wait, so right? you, you mentioned before, the, um, grading it between one to two, 1.1, 1.5. Yeah. So one. that's the weight. That's the weight. Right. And then I, and then I rank it one to, I rank it one to 10, every one of those things. And I apply a weight ah, that's to, to, got it to each ranking. Um, now, now sometimes, because because it can work just as it can work just as good. Like on your top ten, like maybe super important is backyard sanctuary. Like we were not buying a house that did not have a bank 
backyard sanctuary such that when my wife walked out there, she just, she heard birds chirping. She like just felt good. Right. Right. Um, so that was weighted a two because I'm going to, I'm going to create my weight from one to two and that was going to be a two then walkout basement. Right. I just, I just left that as a weight of one because yes, like for me, I wanted a walkout basement, but it wasn't a deal breaker. In fact, we didn't get a walkout basement. We got a garden level basement. My main criteria was I just wanted it to be a sunny, nice basement. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, if, you, if you go download that thing, you'll see how it works. And I got a couple little descriptions on what the priorities, the weights, and the choices, how it works. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think like it'll that, be... That, you know, you, you offer so many cool tools and ways to think about this thing. So if somebody's interested in following up on that, I'm assuming they can go to robswanson.com and, and find it, you know, pretty much anything and everything that you're up to. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, um, uh, you know, there's just so many other things that I wanted to talk to you about, but uh, we are running up against time here a little bit. So I wanted to thank you for, for spending a, a little bit here with me this afternoon. Uh, any other parting wisdoms? How, here's here's a final question for you. I've been asking this lately. How do you want to be remembered? And not not necessarily after you're gone, but how do you want to be yeah. remembered when somebody interacts with you or interacts with your business? Yeah, g- great question. We have uh, we have nine core values in our in our company that came out of just how do I live my life, right? And these nine core values that that drive our hiring decisions, our all of our employee reviews, firing decisions. Like we're asking the question before this person comes in, once they're on the bus and if they're leaving, how do they stack up against these nine core values? So our number a number one core value is do everything with character and integrity. Like I want people to remember Rob based on my number one core value in our business and how I live my life, that I did it, I did it with character and integrity. Whether, whether it worked really good or it didn't work really good, he at least did it with character and integrity. That's, that's it. I love that. I love that. It's, uh, it's certainly been my experience. Uh, every time we talk, you've always been an open book. You've always you know, freely given away incredibly valuable information. You know, obviously the $30,000 breakfast comes to mind. Um, but uh, you've just always been somebody that's inspiring me, uh, inspiring to me. And uh, you've certainly been, you know, making an impact on many other people's lives. So I appreciate you for that, my brother. And um, again, for anybody that's interested, robswanson.com. Rob, thank you today. This has been great. Man, thanks. Appreciate it. All right, man.